In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. My Lord and my God, I firmly believe that you are here, that you see me, that you hear me. I adore you with profound reverence. I ask your pardon for my sins and grace to make this time of prayer fruitful. My Immaculate Mother, Saint Joseph, my Father and Lord, my Guardian Angel, intercede for me. Well, tomorrow is the, it's a feast, uh, first of all, it's a feast day in Lent, so it's a good day, right? It means that it's not a full Sunday, so you shouldn't have everything that you gave up, but, but it is a little bit of a feast day tomorrow, uh, and so you should celebrate. Tomorrow's the feast of the chair of St. Peter, and uh, it's a day in a particular way when we venerate um, this holy apostle, the chief of the apostles, St. Peter, and we, in a particular way, pray for our Holy Father, uh, Pope Francis, the successor of St. Peter and the, the vicar of Christ. And so tomorrow, if you're able to glorify God for calling this dumb fisherman Peter uh, to be his, uh, his vicar, and as well, all of the successors of St. Peter and to pray, offer particular prayers for the Pope, then I think it is, um, then I think you could have a little bit, little, little, little relaxing of some Lenten disciplines tomorrow uh, in order to celebrate in this way. We're going to pray in the collect of the Mass. Grant, we pray, Almighty God, that no tempests may disturb us, for you have set us fast on the rock of the Apostle Peter's confession of faith. That Peter confesses faith in Jesus, and we are set firm on that confession of faith. And so tonight in our prayer, we can just, we could just hang out with Peter a little bit, right? We could just kind of follow Peter along because Peter is one of the most um, flushed out characters in the Gospels. And he really, he could be a real inspiration for us and a helpful consolation because he's, he's got a lot of problems. Um, and so we, we begin with, you know, the call of St. Peter, right? Jesus, Jesus calls this fisherman, Peter, and he calls him right in the midst of his of his ordinary work, and we've prayed with this, you know, this scene before, but Jesus just gets into Peter's boat, and he um, he asks him to put out into deep water, right? To put out, put out into the deep. And so we're going big, right? Jesus choosing Peter is is making a, a this a big thing we're gonna do. And Peter Peter's not a good fisherman. Um, it, the chosen gets it that like they're not catching anything. There's all kinds of issues, right? And uh, Peter's got a lot of issues. But um, also they, um, just in general, like Peter, the times that Peter goes fishing alone, he doesn't catch anything, right? The two times that we're told about Peter fishing alone, um, we hear that he works all night long. Like he's working super hard and he doesn't catch anything. And so in this scene, right, Peter on his own, he he didn't, he didn't catch anything. But at your word, right? At your word, I will let down the nets. And they bring in this, this enormous catch of fish. And 
I think oftentimes when people want to consider the the person of the Pope, uh, they are only looking at oftentimes human characteristics. Well, I like this Pope. I don't like this Pope. I, I think this. I think that. And it's only kind of looking at, at the human characteristics. And if we just look at Peter's human characteristics, it's not so good. He's got a big temper. He isn't good at his job. Uh, he makes he speaks before thinking and uh, makes a lot of mistakes, but it's at the word of Jesus that things are effective. And so when we love the person of the Pope and the papal office, right, it's the fact that we love that Jesus works in a special way through Peter, and he works through the person of the Pope. And it's not any of the natural gifts. We, we've had plenty of popes with natural gifts. We could point out particular gifts of, of each of the recent popes. Pope Francis's real deep love and care for the poor. Pope Benedict's very brilliant intellect. Pope St. John Paul II's charisma and his ability to just captivate a crowd. But it's actually not any of those things that's what it's about to be Pope. Right? To be Pope is not just to be like the best bishop in the world. Rather, it's to be Peter. To say that in the midst of whatever gifts, but also whatever weaknesses, I'm going to let Jesus act through me. I'm going to obey Christ. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to follow Jesus and give my life to him. And so Peter, Peter responds. And he even acknowledges it. Like, look, I'm a sinful man, right? Depart from me, Lord, for I am a sinful man. Like he's shocked by how big this is getting. And so depart from me, Lord. Like I'm a sinner. I can't do this job. I think it's important in a supernatural way when we consider uh, offices in the church, right? Sometimes we think like, oh, it'd be... It'd be really good to be the boss, right? And so when we, and this is not just when we pray for the Pope, but when we pray for our bishops, um, when we pray for our pastors, like the more responsibility you get, the more you recognize that you're totally incapable of doing most of the work, right? And so we shouldn't be like, oh, look, look at our archbishop, like promoted, good for them. It's like that poor, that poor, poor man is now going to have to be in charge of this whole area and every problem and every need and every soul. Like he's in charge of this whole thing in the church to become a bishop is not to get promoted and look how great you are. You're super priest, right? It's to be given more responsibility and with the more responsibility is a greater acknowledgement of weakness. And so as well, when someone is elected Pope, it's not. I remember when I was in Rome. I was in Rome when Pope Francis was elected. And I was getting really close to coming home. I was um, just finishing my fourth year. And so I was going to be ordained a priest in another couple months. And I remember really thinking, you know, when you listen to the news, when they're electing a new pope, there's a lot of like, who's going to win, right? Who's going to win the election? They don't elect a winner. They pick a loser, right? It's basically, we're all going to go to Rome and one person has to stay here till they die, right? Like that is, it is not picking a winner. It's electing someone that's going to have to stay. Like Pope Francis has not been home to Buenos Aires for the last 11 years, 
right? Like he got on a plane to go to Rome and his ticket turned into a one-way ticket. He didn't get to go home afterwards. All the other Cardinals, they got to go home. A lot of them have been able to retire. And now here's Pope Francis in his late 80s, still every day with one lung, working for the care of the church. And so we shouldn't consider offices in the church, right? Different roles and positions as promotions, like how great it would be. Oh, it'd be so great to be Pope. No, it's a terrible job. Um, It's an important job. It's to be the vicar of Christ. But like you are, you're the vicar of Christ. You're the the successor of St. Peter. But every Pope in a human capacity is kind of met with their weakness. Depart from me, Lord. I'm a sinner, right? I'm a sinner. Jorge Bergoglio is a sinner. But Francis the Pope is Peter. There's another story of St. Paul VI, who they were, there was a young priest who, who was meeting with St. Paul VI and, and wanted things to change in the church. And so he, um, he kind of got the ear of the Pope and he's like, hey, Holy Father, you need to change this and you need to change that and we need to allow these things to change and everything has to be different. And the Pope is, you know, was being really nice and he was kind of listening and nodding his head and, hmm, oh yeah, hmm, oh, that's a good, it's a good idea, oh, that's a nice point. And his priest's like, yeah, like, I'm changing the church. Like, this is it. We're changing. Everything's going to change because I'm talking to the Pope and the Pope's going to change it. And St. Paul VI kind of listens very gently and then he says, okay, um, I can't do any of that. Because I am Peter, and that means absolute fidelity to Christ, right? I am Peter, and that means absolute fidelity to Christ. That's the role that the Pope has, to be totally faithful to Jesus. Because his office is founded, as we pray, as we're going to pray in that prayer tomorrow at Mass, on the confession of faith, right? That Peter, Peter confesses his faith in Jesus, When they came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say the son of man is? And they said, some say John the Baptist, others Elijah, still others Jeremiah, one of the prophets. He said to them, but who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Peter confesses the truth about who Jesus is, right? Those other answers, you're John the Baptist, you're Elijah, you're one of the other prophets. The thing they have in common is they're all wrong. And there's all kinds of other opinions that people have about all kinds of stuff, right? Oh, I want a religion where it's more like this and it's like that. Someone just told me about a book they were reading that's just a person's personal story of like, here's how I read the Bible and here's how I like to interpret it. And some of it may be true and some of it's wrong, right? Because at the end of the day, like Jesus is somebody. Like Jesus is somebody. And Peter gets it right, right? It's not about what's popular. Who do, who do I feel Jesus is? Like I, Jesus for me is just John the Baptist, 
Like, that's who he is for me. No, Jesus isn't John the Baptist. He's also not Elijah. He's also not one of the old prophets. Who is Jesus? You are the Christ, the son of the living God. Peter gets it right. It's the right answer. And Jesus answered, blessed are you, Simon Bar-Jonah, Simon, son of Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my father in heaven, right? Flesh and blood has not revealed this to you. Meaning it's kind of like a backhanded, it's a beautiful thing, but like, Peter, you are clearly not smart enough to get this answer right. Like, I know, I know your IQ, Peter. Like, you you didn't get this all on your own, right? You didn't figure this out by, flesh and blood has not revealed this to you. Like, that didn't come from your own brain. Um, no, flesh and blood hasn't revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven, right? The Father reveals to Peter. Think about that. The Father reveals to Peter who Jesus is. Like, that's my son, right? The father tells Peter, that's my son. Like, that's him. Point it out for the other apostles. Like, be sure they know. And then eventually be sure the whole world knows. That's my son. Or you are the Christ, the son of the living God. The father reveals that to Peter so that Peter can say it out loud. That's the job of the magisterium, right? The father and the Holy Spirit guiding the church, guiding the person of the Pope. Not for his own good. Like, we don't have secret revelations in the church, right? There's, okay, Fatima, you had some secrets for a little while. All right. Our lady could do what she wants. But for the most part, like, even that's little r, right? That's little r revelations. But big r revelation, capital R, like, we don't have secret, we don't have secret teachings. We have, we have full books that say, here's everything we believe. Um, they used to not do that. There used to be the practice that was called the, the dis- discipline arcanum, right? That we're going to have a discipline of the secret. We're going to keep things. And that was mainly so that the pagans wouldn't, wouldn't mock our faith before Christianity was more well-known and more popular. It, before the conversion of the Emperor Constantine, there was this kind of, look, we're not going to just tell this to anyone. You have to be initiated first before we, before you really are brought all the way in. You have to become part of the family and then we'll share all of our family teaching with you. Well, now it's not. You can go buy the Catechism of the Catholic Church in any bookstore and you can buy the Bible and you just read it and that's everything that we teach, right? So that everyone can know. We, these things aren't meant to be secret. And so they're revealed here to Peter so he could tell, so he could say it out loud, right? We want people to know this. You are the Christ, the son of the living God. And then after Peter confesses that, After he says who Jesus is, Jesus says, and I tell you, you are Peter, right? You are Peter, which means rock, right? You are the rock. You are rock. Dwayne Johnson kind of ruined this for us a little bit, right? Like if someone came up to me like, you're the rock. Yeah, you know, what can I say besides you're welcome? Um, And... um, but like there is like, um, you're, you're the rock. Peter, you are the rock, um, the people's champion. And on this rock, I will build my church, right? You're the rock. And on this rock, the rock of Peter's confession of faith, right? the person of Peter, his fidelity, his docility to the revelation, his confession of faith, on this rock, I will build my church, 
and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. So Peter makes his bold confession of faith. And that's the role of, of the Pope, to make that same um, confession of faith, to proclaim who Jesus is. And then he gives him the keys, right? I'll give you the keys to the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on, right? Peter has the keys. What you bind on earth, what you, what you unlock on earth, I'll, I'll consider it unbound. And what you, what you bind, what you, could, what, you, what you lock up, I'm going to consider it locked. And what you release, what you loose, I'm going to consider loosed. Um, when you give someone keys, like I, well now, you know, there's so many electronic keys with cars. But like, if I give you my car keys, like, and I'm like, all right, you drive. Like, here's the keys, right? There's, there's something about being a, a teenage driver and the first time. You know, whether it's mom or dad or some other adult kind of give you the keys and say, like, all right, you're driving. And it could get a little out of it, like, wow, I'm driving. And to have, like, what that also means is, like, the adult who knows how to drive is not driving. And so Jesus gives Peter the keys. Like, you're doing this. You're driving. Well, Jesus, but shouldn't you do that? Like, this is a little out of my pay. No, no, you're driving. One of my early experiences of driving, uh, my father uh, took me, he's like, all right, you know, I'd done some little just driving around the neighborhood, just kind of getting used to the feel of the car. And um, I didn't know what those mirrors on the outside the windows were for, for really, because like, if you're just driving around the neighborhood, whatever, why do, you, why do you need those mirrors, right? And the, oh, there's a mirror that I could see behind me, but like, I don't back in anywhere because I'm a relatively new driver, so but I don't really need that one either. And so uh, one day my dad got in the car and are you driving? Okay, great. And turn here and turn left here and turn, you know, turn left there at the, at that light. And, uh, and up there you take a right onto the highway. And I'll go, hold on. We've never been on the highway before. He's like, well, here we go. I said, well, he's like, check your mirrors. I'm like, my mirrors, the mirrors aren't pointing at anything. Like, this is not, I I didn't do this. He's like, well, you're driving. Right, so here we go, check. And I'm like, ah. So he's like looking out the back, trying to see if it's safe. And it's a total, well, not only that, he takes me on an area of highway that I'm still afraid to drive on today because you have a left-hand exit. And when usually when you have a left-hand exit on an interchange, right, you're going to merge into the left lane of the highway you're getting onto, where cars are going 85 miles an hour. And you don't have mirrors to be able to figure out what you're supposed to do. And so it was, it was terrifying. And there was a moment where, like, there's plenty of moments where I'm like, I got to pull over. You got to get in the driver's seat. Like, I, gotta, I, I can't do it. But no, you're driving. Like, you're driving. And maybe in the history of the church, there's been times where the Pope, who has the keys... Wants to be like, Jesus, I'm pulling over. You got Jesus, take the wheel, right? Um, Like, you got to take over. I can't, uh, we're going, I didn't set the mirrors right, Jesus. I don't know what I'm doing. I got the keys, but I'm not a good driver. And things are a little crazy. And we're merging into a left-hand lane where traffic is speeding, where, where we may all actually die. Like, it's possible, Jesus, that with the Pope driving the car, we may all die. Um... But you're there. Like, okay, I gave you the keys. Like, this is it. This is you're actually driving. You're really driving. And this is why we need to pray for the Pope. Right? We need to pray for the Pope very much because he's driving. Right? Like, he's 
Jesus gave him the keys. And it could be really easy to be a backseat driver, right? Um, in that picture, in that situation, if like I had a sister, a young, I have a younger sister, but she was close enough in age. But like, imagine like if you have a little seven-year-old in the backseat being like, oh, you're going too slow. Like you need to be like, you're not dry. You have no idea how stressful this is, right? You have the person that knows what they're doing in the passenger seat. You have the person that has no idea what they're doing in the driver's seat. But then you got a backseat driver criticizing how you're doing everything. Well, that's what we're like when we criticize the Pope. Probably even worse. Like when we decide that I know better than Peter and that I have a role, to, like I want to criticize the Pope and I want to say, well, listen, Pope, you're not running the church the way that I want. You're not doing it this. You need to do this. You need to change that. You need to do this. Like, hey, Jesus didn't give me the keys and I'm no better than a little punk seven-year-old sitting in the back seat trying to tell someone how to drive in a very stressful situation, right? We need, so what do we do? We pray for the Pope. We have, to, we have to pray for the Pope. We have to love him very much. We have to pray for him a lot. Right? We have to listen to what he says. His job is to teach us about Jesus. And so we listen to him. We, we really pay attention. We, we try to love him uh, as best we can. And we, um, every day, every day we pray for him. We don't, we don't worship him, right? We don't believe that the Pope is God. We don't worship. That's, you know, criticism people sometimes make of Catholics that we, you know, we all worship the Pope. No, we, we acknowledge that the Pope is a sinner, just like the rest of us, right? Pope Francis, whenever they do these big confession services at St. Peter's, Pope Francis is always the first person to go to confession, right? There's more pictures of the Pope going to confession with Pope Francis than ever before in the history of the church, right? He's always the first one to go because he acknowledges I'm a sinner, There'd be, there's stories as well of uh, Pope John Paul II. If you had to have a tough conversation with someone that worked in the Vatican, with a priest or a bishop who worked in the Vatican, one of the cardinals. And like, if you had to really have like, like this was bad. What you did, it really was bad. Things really got messed up. Um, I remember there was a priest who worked for John Paul II. He said the only time John Paul II ever got angry at him was, it was very early in his time with him. And... They um and now here's someone that's working so close with the Pope that the Pope got angry at him. But he said it was because there was a it was in one of these big crowded audiences. I think it, uh, you know, and there's a lot of people. And someone comes up and says like, "Holy Father, my my daughter has cancer. Like the it doesn't. It's the it's very grave. Please pray for her." And 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 the Pope was kind of being just pushed along in the crowd. And so he said to this priest, said get her name and information, like get all the information. And um, the priest didn't. For whatever reason, he got pushed along, so he, he didn't. He didn't get a chance to pull the woman aside and get the information. He just, you know, um, or, or John Paul II said, oh yeah, Father so-and-so will get it. You know, and the, the priest didn't realize like the Pope was serious. Like he wants her name, her phone number. He wants the daughter's name. He wants to know the hospital. He wants to know the cancer. He wants to know the whole thing. And so later that day when the Pope said, you know, please tell me that that person's name. And the the priest like, I, I didn't, I didn't get it. I didn't, I didn't do that. There was, you know, and he said that was the only, John Paul II got very, very angry because someone had come to Peter asking for prayers and someone that's meant to help Peter had, had failed and not taken And he said that was the only, that was the first and last time that St. John Paul II got very angry with him because um, it never happened again. And if, if the Pope said like, please take that person's name, like they stopped everything 
we're getting this person's information. Um, but what John Paul II would do is when he'd get angry with someone, when he'd have to have a tough, strict conversation with someone, oftentimes if they were a priest or bishop, afterwards he'd say, okay, now I need you to hear my confession, <laughs> right? And that's, that's how he would do it. He'd say, I need you to hear my confession, right? And he would start like, bless me, Father, for I've sinned. It's been however long since my last confession. Boom, right, right into it because he's a sinner. And so he has the office. He has the, the role of being the vicar of Christ, right? Uh, but also he's a sinner and he, he knows that. And so we don't worship the Pope. We don't, um, not everything that the Pope says is, is perfect. No, but we love the Pope, right? And the Pope has the, has the job of driving on the highway in a crazy intersect, in a crazy interchange. And we thank God we're in the car that Jesus promises won't crash. Right, like I promise, this car won't crash. The you are Peter on this rock, but the gates of hell will never prevail against it. And so, um, this is the role. This is the role of the Pope. And so, tomorrow we should celebrate. Right, like that's that's the thing. Tomorrow we should really we we should celebrate a bit. We should um, we should pray in a special way for the Pope. We can pick a little prayer that we can say. Maybe we pray an extra decade of the Rosary. Um, Maybe we, we pray for him at Mass. We can offer our communion for him. I know a friend of mine would not just do it on this day, but every day he had the practice. He was a student. He was studying in Rome. And he would, every day, he would offer a full hour of study for the Pope. And so as he was studying, he would, you know, I'm, I'm offering this. The, and now I want to check my phone. And I just want to like, I want to quit and I want to just kind of do this halfway and I really don't want to do this anymore and I want to learn this and I'd rather go outside and play soccer. But you know what? Like, no, this, uh, this one hour, I'm offering this as my way of helping the Pope. The Pope is helping Jesus carry his cross and I'm going to help the Pope with that. Right? I'm going to help him. And it really does something. Right? When we pray, we could all do that. Pope Francis is huge. What's the one thing he asks more than anything else? Pray for me. Right? Pray for me. He knows how big of a job it is. Here's another story. I, a, a good friend of mine met Pope Francis. Uh, I've met him a number of times. And he said that he's always, always surprised by how much the Pope knows about what's going on in the world, right? Throughout the whole world. Like the Pope, we, we just see our little thing. Like if we change one little thing about the churches in New Britain, it's like, it's the end of the world. This is it. You've, you have ruined the church. The gates of hell have prevailed because Father Casey changed the mass time. Oh, man, right? <laughs> That's our local attitude. But the Pope, like, he sees the whole thing. And, and he, this friend of mine really was, was surprised that when Pope Francis talks to people, it's like, oh, hi, Holy Father. I'm from, you know, this particular uh, city in France or this diocese in France. He's like, oh, yeah, the bishop there is really suffering. The local authorities are trying to, you know, close some of the churches. And, you know, I'm really, I'm really praying for him, right? Or, and now, okay, that's France. And I'm from this diocese in India. Oh, yeah, they're, you know, they're having so many troubles with um, these particular civil issues. And, um, like, the Pope knows the world, right? And then he said, particularly with Pope Francis, he was always so shocked that like, it just, when you said where you were from, 
he he immediately was able to say, like, no, what's going on there? And particularly the problems, right? The problems, they make their way to dad. And so it, um, so he knows, right? I don't know. I have no idea what bishop is, you know, about to be thrown in jail because the church is being persecuted or which have already been in jail, right? I have no idea what diocese are having their properties taken or in bankruptcy or being persecuted or, you know, they knocked down the house of the missionaries of charity again. They do this in some of the uh, anti-Catholic, anti-Christian countries. The missionaries of charity have houses for homeless men and women. And the government may just show up one day and say, this house has been condemned. We're knocking it down in 30 minutes. Get out. And, and that, you know, I don't know those things, but the Pope does. Like he, he hears it all. And he has to carry that, right? He has to carry that cross with Jesus. And so we got to pray for him. We have to pray for him a lot. Um, he's dad. He knows. And he, he carries all these burdens. And so we should celebrate. We should celebrate that we have the role of Peter. Right? We should celebrate that Jesus established his church on Peter's confession of faith. But then we, we should love the Pope very. We should really love him a lot. Uh, we should pray for him a lot. We should be grateful that we have a papa, right? That we, we have a, a dad, a spiritual dad who loves us. And who prays for us and whose whole life is now being given to be the vicar of Christ, to have the car keys, to bind and loose, and to continue to proclaim for the whole world that Jesus is Lord. We ask Mary, the mother of the church, uh, to pray for us in a particular way to pray for our Holy Father, Pope Francis. I thank you, my God, for the good resolutions, affections, and inspirations which you have communicated to me in this meditation. I ask your help in putting them into effect. My Immaculate Mother, Saint Joseph, my Father and Lord, my Guardian Angel, intercede for me. Holy Mary, our hope, seat of wisdom, handmaid of the Lord, pray, pray for us. us.